Hello, TSF family. We wanted to start off by saying thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast and for your hard work to love yourself more and for your feedback. Can you believe it's been three years that we've been doing this spiritual fix and it has been such a beautiful labor of love for Anna and me. We have loved doing this work. We've loved hearing from you and we love exploring ourselves and each other alongside our listeners. We wanted to put out the call for three ways that you can help support us to support you. One, we would love you to leave us a review on iTunes or follow us on Spotify. Two, drop us an email and let us know how much the podcast means to you. And three, you can donate monthly or even just once to our PayPal patronage. Every little bit helps and we are so grateful to those of you who have donated already. Thank you. You help make this podcast possible. Thanks, y'all. You can go to our website, www.thisspiritualfix.com for information on how to pledge as well as to email us. Hello and welcome to episode nine, season four of this spiritual fix. Today we are talking about the six hungers. Enjoy. We also wanted to add that nothing in this podcast constitutes as medical advice. So please consult your doctor or nutritionist when choosing a new diet. This spiritual fix. Two mystical mamas hacking the self-help game. With Anna Stromquist and Christina Ritzi. Hi. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> We're together. Together at last. Together forever. We're tying a knot. They never can sever. What was that bedtime tune you always boo-boo-boo? anything for you (laughs) i totally (laughs) fucked it up at the end (laughs) hey hi i can't believe you knew what i was referencing of course i did i fucking love annie (laughs) (laughs) so so today we're talking about food and hunger and emotional eating and all that good stuff because the physical body is one of our bodies, like spiritual and emotional and mental. Mental. And, yep. I feel like we, we're going to address the physical body today. But before we get into that, Chris, you wanted to talk about an article you read yes. in the New York Times. So, uh, the, yeah, it's really interesting. It was an article um, in the New York Times about a woman who basically decided to go off of her antipsychotic meds and just to hear the voices, mm-hmm. right? And she ultimately decided that that the kind of experience of having to suppress them, the medical experience of having to suppress them wasn't necessarily worth the downside of, of, you know, psychotic, having a quote unquote psychotic experience where you're, you know, what mainstream psychology would call, okay, we can't be hearing voices. Right. And then you sent another article, right. Mm -hmm. About how, using psychics right why don't you explain it um we'll put these articles in the show notes but then i found an article saying that one way that people who hear voices can maybe not have such a negative self-image is to talk to psychics who also hear voices but don't see it as a bad thing yeah 
And, you know, interesting enough, I've heard that in other countries, when people hear voices, they just hear friendly ancestor spirits. Mm-hmm. And it's in more westernized countries that we're saying, oh, you're hearing voices. This is bad. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I can, I mean, as someone who hears voices, you know, a lot of the time it's in my own voice, which is, I think, one of the things that my psyche does to help me cope with it, like to make it feel as if it's not invasive. But, I mean, I can absolutely attest to the fact that I feel so fucking fortunate that like I have never doubted my own sanity, not for a second. You know what I mean? Like there's definitely moments when I feel I've, I've, I've had imposter moments. I've had moments where I felt like I, especially when I was starting out, like I felt like there was a part of me that like really needed to be careful to not corrupt, like to be corrupted by it, right? Not to become too arrogant or think that I could do anything or do any of those things, like to, to keep my humility in the experience. But hearing the voices, I never, I never considered that I was crazy ever. So that's a hallmark sign of being crazy. (laughs) Well, no, but I was, but that's the thing. Well, then I'm crazy. What I say is that like, I always was like, I'm going to check. I'm going to check. But I don't like I was there was never a fear of it. I was what I'm saying. I think that's the distinction I'm trying to make. Like I was always like, okay, let's just make sure I'm not crazy. And I've definitely had moments when things got a little bit like really far and fast coming at me. And I like would see so many things in a different room and they were all in the same room. And I was like, oh my God, this is so crazy. And I would feel a little bit like, like the wheels were coming off and then I would kind of quickly get it back into a place that was manageable for me. So in the sense of, I will, I will slightly backtrack on what I just said, which is I always did a sanity check, but there was never a part of me that that was fearful of being made crazy, like thought of as crazy. I was worried of people thinking I was crazy. Like when Archangel Michael first started visiting me and talking to me, I didn't think I was crazy. I was like, this is awesome. But I was scared of other people thinking I was crazy and being like, she thinks she's talking to an angel, lock her up. And I think that that's the very common, like, like being locked up against your will because of an ability or being burnt at the stake or all the things that have happened in history with the people who have had this ability. It's not surprising, right? Like, it's not surprising that, 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 that fear is present. Mm -hmm. And I think if you are a person who worries about your sanity, who doesn't want to tell anybody about it, I would really recommend you can talk to me. (laughs) <laughs> you can talk to Anna or you can find somebody who you know and trust who has it under control. You would not believe the amount of emails we get from people being like, everyone will think I'm crazy, but yes. I just pulled a, no- a psychic sword out of my heart or whatever. Remember, yeah. we just yeah. get ran- you know emails all the time of people doing all sorts of really deep spiritual work. Amazing Amazing, stuff. Amazing, beautiful, life-changing stuff. And they're like... But everyone else will think I'm crazy. And I want to be like, it's not that you're crazy. It's that you haven't found your people. Yeah. (laughs) So we can all be, no, but I mean, and that's the thing. Like we live in a paradigm right now that has not grown up for that yet. And that's okay. If you're a couple of grades ahead of the understanding of, of what the mainstream says is, is fine, please don't stop your work. Like the only time that, that I would ever say to stop your work 
is if you feel unsafe, if you're having trouble distinguishing or having trouble like really functioning and you're not able to control it, like the voices are so loud that you can't concentrate in other settings, things along those lines, in which case please do seek out, you can seek out mainstream help as well as seek out help of a psychic to see if they can possibly help with something. Like mm-hmm. I said, me or Anna or something like that. And those are the cases in which, you know, it's really important to like, we all want to be magical beings all the time because we are magical beings all the time, but we also do have to function in the world. And I want to invite anyone here that, that doesn't hear voices or see things to maybe be open to the possibility that the people who do are not crazy. They're simply wise in ways we don't know. Like in the, in the article she used to say like non-consensual reality. Yes. And I think it's important that we don't just assume someone's crazy. Like it wasn't until I started really working with Robbie our shaman that for example, when I would go visit patients who had Alzheimer's in my job, I would just think, you know, their mind has deteriorated. Yeah. And then I started seeing Robbie and I had a new perspective on psychic ability and this and that. And I went and saw a woman who kept having hallucinations in her dementia that, that people go running into her apartment and I went into her house and there was a freaking portal in there. And I was like, she's not crazy. Everyone's going to think she's crazy. She's just able to see this portal and the people who are running through it and other people aren't. And it wasn't unless it wasn't like until I could actually sense portals that I was able to recognize she's absolutely not crazy. She just has no words to explain why there's someone suddenly running around her kitchen. Yep. Trying to mug her in her own kitchen. Yeah. When they're the people mugging her are also equally confused. Yep. Yep. And and I think another if I was gonna give you guys a protective measure, I would say that So like somebody hearing what Anna just said, maybe like, well, people with Alzheimer's must have like special abilities. So I'm going to tell my friend. I think they're travel hopping or time hopping. Dimension hopping. Yeah. Dimension hopping or they're tapping into portals. Yeah. So y'all may hear that. Y'all may hear that from Anna and be like, oh, well, I'm going to go tell my friend whose parent has Alzheimer's that this is what's happening and maybe they can take another thing. Right. And so like, or maybe you go and visit and you're like, I see a portal in my friend's parents, whatever room. And they're, you know, like we're having these analogous experiences and things like that. When we start to, um, introduce this stuff to people who are not familiar or comfortable with it, it's, it's kind of a necessity at this point in our, in our, the culture's evolution all over the world is like, depending on where you are, just make sure to test, just do little tests. You know, we all do it. We all like are like, hey, I'm just going to drop this little bit of like, I was talking to a fairy the other day. That's usually not what I drop in, but you know, like, I don't know. Would you have a test? Do you have a test for what to you see do? see if they're open? Yeah, to see if they're open. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I, I would say maybe, you know, like, for example, I had a patient who was having auditory hallucinations of a baby crying. And I said to the paid caregiver, not the family member who wasn't around, but I just said to her, she, you know, the paid caregiver is like, she's so distressed. She hears the baby crying. The baby is now, you know, an adult. She goes, and I don't know what to do. And I said, well, do you think it's quite possible that she really does hear a baby crying, you know? And then the caregiver was like, actually, yeah, I, I wonder if she really is, is able to hear a baby crying. And so that was my kind of keyhole to turn the knob and me and that caregiver ended up having the most amazing conversation and we decided that when the woman the elderly woman was hearing the baby crying that we were going to go try to find the baby for her and instead of trying to 
you know, tell her there's no baby. Yeah. We're like, we're going to go find the baby and we're going to make sure she's okay. You know? Yeah. And another thing was that that caregiver ended up telling me the most beautiful story in the world, which was that she was told by many doctors that she was infertile. Mm -hmm. And one night she had a dream and in the dream, her dead grandmother came to her and handed her a baby girl. And she said, this is your daughter. And she told her the baby's name, which I can't remember right now. And later on that week, some emergency happened. She had to go to the doctor's office and it turned out they gave her a pregnancy test. She was pregnant, which made no sense. It ended up being a girl. She ended up naming it the name the grandmother told her in the dream. Wow. And a priest ended up doing a sermon on that name that came from the Bible and it meant gift from God. And wow. it was just like, that story was so beautiful and it never would have come if I hadn't like been willing to like turn the keyhole and just see like how comfortable is this woman yep. talking about metaphysics stuff. Cause I knew she was a big church goer. Yep. Yep. Anyways. It, yeah, it's it's it, that is a good gauge and it's interesting cuz what I find more and more is that as I'm relatively open even in the place where I live in the middle of Georgia in the middle of like nowhere Georgia. I'm relatively open with kind of what I am, but I, I that the reason I use the, the term intuitive is because intuitive has a lot less stigma attached to it than psychic. And so I usually will use the word intuitive. I'll usually play around with that. And then what I find is that like People are actually just so thirsty, even in the place where I live, even if they've gone to church their whole lives and they're like deeply, deeply Baptist or deeply, deeply all these different, you know, like they are, they're like, I just, I just got to tell you about what this happened this time. And I just hear so many amazing stories of people sharing their abilities and not having ever had an advocate or somebody who, who didn't think that they were crazy, like, or, or someone who was like, you're saying you're totally fine. This is just, this is, and then, and then for me, when somebody tells me that I can usually pinpoint and be like, well, this is what's happening in your psychic, like, because everybody, it's like, it's like, imagine that everyone's got a garden and that garden can grow different plants. There's all these seeds that are planted and our life experiences basically add water and sun to certain parts of the garden. And so for some people, they may grow into to hearing voices, right? For some people, they may start to see shadow people in the corner of the room. You know, for some people, they may, there's like, there's so, there, it's no telling what our life experiences have, have like, you know, have what our ancestral seeds have been planted within our psyche and then which ones we become aware of throughout our lives and so sometimes there's, it can help to even look at that, like to be like, what kind of, what, what, what's, am I hearing voices? Am I, do I have this crazy ability to know when people are transitioning, which is one I just heard the other day, right? She knew when all of her family members were passing, right? It's happened four or five times, right? Who? Just, client? just somebody who I know. Yeah. Oh. Who I just met. So it's, you know, I say protective, but. Like Anna says, find those little things, see if you can make the opening and y'all will be surprised that there are so many people who are thirsty for this. It's funny too, because if you hear me say it, I will always talk about how I'm so tired of the movie plot where like the point in the story where they have to be like, you know, you're going to think I'm crazy, but this weird thing happened to me. Like there's always that fucking scene and they're always in like a diner Right. Do you know what I'm talking about? It's yeah. like the, it's like the cl- most cliche scene ever. And I'm always just like, all right, writers move the fuck on. Like I call it surrealist nonfiction, but magical realism is, mm-hmm. is like, is gaining a lot of traction in the world. And I'm all about it. 
There is a really cool show called Castle Rock. It's a Stephen King show, but it's not like Stephen King. It it's more like Shawshank Redemption style. Yeah, and in it, there's a character who has Alzheimer's, but she's actually time traveling. And Stephen King, the way he tells it, it's just so well done to show how it looks like quote unquote crazy, but through her lens, it's just she's just time hopping. That's so interesting. Speaking speaking of Stephen King, I am pretty sure that Stephen King is tapping into other dimensions most of the time I really because we we read that article the other day about or sorry I sent it to you but it was an article about how there were actors who had who had basically when actors had had an experience oh, I, I refused with to read it because I was in the middle of my IFS work and I'm like I'm in a dark place I not read this <laughs> but yeah it was this article about all I mean, it was not an article y'all it was probably like some buzzfeed whatever yeah clickbait. <laughs> yeah it was totally clickbait i love that shit when i'm needing dopamine but the basically the the thing that they were talking about was one of the things they talked about was the scars guard peter scars i think no it's not peter one of the scars brothers who played pennywise the clown in it uh-huh which is a stephen king movie oh i heard this and basically he would have really extremely vivid dreams about the clown basically in the whole time surrounding him doing it and for me, that really struck home because when I have done Vipassana and am in like a really vivid dream state, I also dream of that same entity. And like, I can't help but think that there is something there with like, with with just like the ability to kind of tap into that Stephen King is probably tapping into actually archetypal entities in there. Um when he does that, which is one of those reasons why you should always kind of watch what you consume. Yeah, shit. Speaking of consumption. <laughs> oh. And what you put in your body. <laughs> Speaking of consumption. <laughs> Not the tuberculosis type. Sorry, guys. We're going to talk a little bit about hungers today. Yeah. So the main point of today's episode <laughs> is actually to go over the six different types of hunger. So this is coming from a course my husband and I took called Wild Fit, which is a 90-day course taught by Eric Edmiades, or Edmiades, I'm probably saying that wrong, but he is a presenter, entrepreneur, Canadian who also lived in South Africa and Australia and like lived among the Bushmen and the Aborigines and came to understand their eating habits and he's done like countless research, etc. And he came up with this whole food system that takes 90 days and at the end of it, you are eating like so much healthier than ever before. And the wild fit has dramatically changed my moods, my cognition, my energy level, and even maybe healed my PMDD. I haven't yet figured out if it's the IFS or the, the internal family systems work or the diet. And it doesn't matter because it's healed. It's healed. Okay. <laughs> but what I really wanted to talk today about the course was this course, first of all, is 90 days. So I cannot give it justice by throwing in anything because you have to live it. Like you have to go through all 90 days to really understand what he's doing. Mm -hmm. I thought I would take one piece of what he taught that was really, really, really helpful and really easy to share with people. So I thought I would share that with you, which is the six different types of hunger and how understanding what the six different types of hunger are, you can easily change your eating habits to eat healthier and better. So I want to talk about that. Sweet. 
Okay, so there are six different types of hunger, according to Eric, and the first one is true hunger. Now, that's true nutritional hunger, like you need to actually eat, okay? Yeah. You have an actual biological need to eat food. Yes, you do. Okay, that's number one. So that one, you're never going to overcome because... You're never go- unless you want to be self-restrictive or or breathitarian breathitarian or, or anorexic. That- you are not going to avoid the true hunger one. Okay. Well, there's that dude who drank water for 24 years that I met last year. All right. <laughs> let me just but let me just keep fucking it with you. He probably wasn't hungry. Those are extreme outliers. But in general, yes, we're those not are gonna, extreme outliers. We're yes. not going to avoid the true hunger one. Exactly. The second form of hunger is thirst. So thirst appears as hunger in disguise. And why is that? The idea is that long time ago, during the majority of our evolution, we would eat fruits and veggies and things that had a lot of water in them. And nowadays you go to the grocery store and with the exception of the produce section, every single thing has been dehydrated and boxed. Like in order to seal things up carefully, like everything is in a box or a bag has been dehydrated. So let's say that you're hungry and you go eat a bag of chips. First of all, the salt's going to make you thirstier and you're just dehydrating your system more because you're putting something really dry into your body. So sometimes when you're hungry, you're really actually thirsty. Like the body is just like, we're thirsty. Let's go, you know, in the old days it'd be like, let's go eat some watermelon. But now it's like, I'm, I'm thirsty, but I'm, thinking I'm hungry. So instead of watermelon, I'm going to go eat this box of crackers. Well, it's actually going to make me even more dehydrated. Yeah. It reminds me of um, like one of the most satisfying moments for me ever is like watching Back to the Future 2 in the, in the set in the future where they yes. have the rehydrating machine. And it's like, imagine that everybody is, is eating the unrehydrated pizza right everyone's eating like space food yeah yeah it's everyone's eating space food and it's like it's like as soon as you add water then it'll like become the full-size pizza right like as it does in the rehydrator and back to the future that's what we're doing so he says the way to stay ahead of that hunger to basically stay ahead of that hunger is to satisfy your thirst like drink adequate water drink your adequate water and that will keep you from eating things you don't need to mm-hmm. simply because you're actually thirsty. So that is why it's so important to stay hydrated and drink water and not like soda and things like that. Cause you're trying to quench your thirst and then not be eating stuff that you don't need to be eating. That's making me thirsty. You saying right. that drink, drink, drink. The third hunger is the hunger for variety. And this is really interesting because he says that the body has a natural desire for variety. And so what happens is, because we naturally craved variety, well, everyone up there making money off of us knows that. And so they have sour cream and onion and sour cream and chive and barbecue and Hawaiian and Maui onion and cheddar and like every kind of chip you can possibly imagine. Shit, what's your grocery store? Those all sound very interesting. Well, you know, like you can, yeah, find, no, I know, yeah. you can find like variety. So like if you're craving like, I want some spicy Cheetos or I yeah. want this or yeah. that. Your body will want variety because it craves a variety of nutritional sources to, yes. to fulfill your nutritional needs. So you yeah. will crave variety. So he says, okay, let's get over this need for variety. You're going to go to the grocery store and you're going to go to the vegetable section and you're going to buy the fruits and veggies you never buy. And if you don't even want to eat them, just throw them in a smoothie. Like, you know, I can't tell you, I never freaking eat kiwis. I never freaking eat bok choy. I like never eat freaking dinosaur kale, whatever. I'll just buy the weird stuff that I never eat 
and just throw it in my morning smoothie. And then my body is starting the day off satiated with variety. And then I'm not craving my sour cream and onion, whatever. That's really interesting. Okay. That's fascinating. So that's another way to hack your desire, your body's desire for variety. Yeah. Okay. The fourth one is low blood sugar. This one is the second to the most important one for me. Like it was life, life, life changing, which is if you are eating things that are high in sugar, then you're going to get a high, like a dopamine or serotonin rush. And then when it levels off, you're going to have a drop. And when you're coming down, you're going to crave that sugar again. But what I didn't understand is it's not just refined sugar. It's also honey and it's also grains like rice, bread, quinoa, all that stuff turns into sugar. Right. So if you truly want to lower your blood sugar so that you're not crashing, like having these highs and then lows and highs and then lows, you take the sugar out of your diet, not just, not just refined sugar, but like honey, maple syrup and grains. Like I stopped eating rice, corn, wheat, all that stuff. And because of it, I stopped having these blood sugar crashes where I constantly, I was like seeking that high again. And ironically taking it out of my diet, I wasn't like needing it anymore because I was no longer crashing because instead of going like having a glycemic index that wasn't really high and then crashed, I'm just constantly low that I'm not rising and falling. So just taking sugar out of the diet keeps you from craving more sugar. So does that mean that you don't eat things like bananas? I don't feel like eating bananas right now. I could, I could potentially eat fruits. I have no desire to eat fruits right now. Yeah. Cause I know banana has a really high glycemic index. Yeah. Which is why it's great for just before you run a race or something like that. Right. Cause it's like, it's immediately converted. Maybe not just before, but just, you know, yeah. He says, if you're going to eat fruit, you should eat fruit. It's the first thing you eat. But then once you start eating real food, no more fruit for the rest of the day. Okay. That's what he says because of the way that it digests and because of the sugar. Interesting. So okay. if I do have fruit in the morning, it's like in my morning smoothie, which is really rare. And then I'm just done with sugar for the whole day. Okay. But I don't even, I even stopped doing that. Cause like, I don't even want that high. So when you say it turns into sugar, complex carbohydrates turn into sugar, carbohydrates turn into sugar, right? Because they all have, since it's a carbohydrate, it all has COH, right? Carbon, oxygen, hydrogen, and obviously glucose and fructose and all them are circles, right? Like in the chemical makeup. So is it basically just to, just for me and my chemistry brain to, to try and not get to whatever, um, is it basically just anything that you wouldn't say it's all carbohydrates, right? You would say it was grains. It's all, it's all grains. Just grains. Okay. Okay. But not carbs like sweet potato. It's all grains. And he says, don't do white potato because it's been so GMO'd. Like potato has been so genetically modified that don't do potato either. Okay. But he says it's all grains. And this is why he says don't do grains. Well, one, they turn into sugar, but this is what he said. He said that evolution is a tango dance. You take one step forward the other person takes a step back. That's how evolution works. So with grains, if you think about corn is like an easy one, right? It's a seed. Grains are seeds. And so when birds eat grains, the grain wants to be undigestible. Uh huh. So, and so that way when the bird is flying in the air and it poops, it's pollinating the earth with the seed. Like that's how seeds travel, right? Is through bird poop or animal poop, right? That's why if you eat corn, you're going to see it in the toilet because the corn doesn't want to be digested because it wants you to spread its seed and, you know, fertilize places, right? Yeah. So grain, it's a tango dance, right? 
the grain is constantly evolving to make itself undigestible and the bird's gut is constantly evolving to create enzymes to break down that grain. So it's a tango dance, okay? On and on. So basically grains have evolved over hundreds of hundreds of centuries to become undigestible so that they can spread their seed, literally. <laughs> and birds have similarly been evolving to break it down. However, man has only started storing grain 10,000 years ago. We did not have the infrastructure or the technology to build um, mills or storage facilities to house grain, which is to say that man has only been eating grain for the last 10,000 years. And so what he says now is, if you take, if you imagine that a bird's evolution is a human lifetime, then the, then 10,000 years is the equivalent to one second, which is to say for us to think that we have the, the evolutionary years on our side to digest grain, we're absolutely foolish. It's like a blink of an eye yeah. in the whole scheme of human evolution and the evolution of grain in its desire to not be digestible. So when we're eating grain, we're not actually extracting nutrition from it. That's what he says. And he says, you don't believe me, just take out grains from your diet and just see how you feel. Yeah. You know, and I've done it and I feel amazing. So I'm, I'm on camp, no grain. So is it, so when you say no grain, does that include seeds? Nuts, seeds nuts, and nuts. He says you can eat nuts. Okay. But like not excessively, but yeah, you can eat nuts. I don't, I guess you said grains. So grains are seeds. So maybe that's like a, when I was talking about seeds, I was like pumpkin seeds and sesame seeds and like all the things that you don't traditionally think of as grains. Well, actually sesame seed, sesame oil is a good oil on this diet. So I'm not sure. Okay. So maybe seeds are kind of question. I mean, I know you're not like people need to do this themselves. So it's not, we're right. not trying you need to, to be take super the full course to get all the information, but in like in general, he says no to grains. And I think, and he does say like, I think he says that brown rice is okay eventually from time to time, but ideally like no grain. Right. So as a kind of related thing, which is interesting in case, uh, do you know anything about CAFOs? Mm -mm. So CAFOs are, Lordy, it's an acronym and I can't remember exactly what. It's basically using the same timeline analogy. CAFOs are where they fatten up cows uh -huh. for slaughter, right? And they are a product of what is called industrialized agriculture. Right. And so, and, and they use the example of like, imagine agriculture has been going on for 10,000 years. Industrialized agriculture has only been going on for 70 years. Right. And so one of the things that is so bad about basically cows that are fattened on these CAFOs, right? Like in the food that they produce, the, the meat that comes out of it is that they are only fed corn. Right. So they're not great. fed grass at all. Right. Because it's basically what it does is it it puts on weight and it like immediately turns into other things, but basically it becomes undigestible in their systems. And so they become very sick and they're very unhealthy, which is why they need antibiotics, right? So it's only since antibiotics have come in that industrialized agriculture can happen because you have to have antibiotics in order to be able to keep a bunch of cows in a very confined area and feed them corn. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a kind of a similar thing, in the, in the sense of like, this is a blip guys. This is like, you know, in the whole scream, in the whole scream, in the whole stream of, ag of, of agriculture and everything that we've been doing, like feeding cows, corn in 
small confined spaces and antibiotics is like, it's just a blip and we should probably stop. Right. Exactly. (laughs) Of course, then you could say stuff about the cost of meat, but you know, I know that's a privileged thing there. So yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, he says, he also says in the course, you know, don't eat a lot of meat. If you're going to eat meat, make sure you eat high quality wild, as much as possible wild meat. Yeah. Okay. The fifth type of hunger he goes into is empty stomach hunger. And empty stomach hunger means that when your stomach's empty, it's okay. Like you don't have to always fill it up. And people who do intermittent fasting are very familiar with this concept, but some of us, our stomach is empty and we panic and we're like, it's empty. I got to fill it up or it shouldn't be empty. I should always have something in there. And he's like, you know, it's okay to have an empty stomach. So that's the fifth kind of hunger. Mm -hmm. And then the sixth kind of hunger is emotional hunger. And this one, the low blood sugar one was a really important one for me to come to learn, to understand through experience. But the emotional hunger was the most important one for me because first of all, I've always had a healthy BMI with the exception of like right after pregnancy, I've always been relatively thin or in good shape. Like I've never struggled with obesity. Okay. So I always thought that I was not an emotional eater because people who are emotional eaters are overweight. That was my thinking. Okay. I came to realize just how much of my hunger my eating was emotional based. So one thing he says that's so important, like this was a really eye-opening statement was emotion is how you feel before, during, and right after eating the food. Nutrition is how you feel later. So when I started doing what he said to do, which was, you know, for the first few weeks, just eat whatever you want, but just, you have to notice how you feel a couple hours later. I started to recognize that so many foods that I ate really only felt good when they were in my mouth or right after or in the anticipation leading up to it. And then also being from New Mexico, I started to recognize that whenever I was homesick or missing my family, I would make New Mexican food to satisfy that emotional hunger. Yep. I noticed I was eating out of boredom often. And I noticed that, you know, it was kind of with the low blood sugar. I would sometimes just want to eat because I just wanted to get that rush of serotonin or dopamine. I don't know which of the two it was, but I wanted to feel a high. So I was, I was either seeking highs or seeking nostalgia for home Mm -hmm. or I was trying to satisfy boredom. And so when I came to understand that better, that, that I was going to be giving my future self a favor by instead of eating, you know, enchiladas, I was going to eat a green salad or green smoothie. And that six hours later, I was thanking myself because I didn't feel gross. Yeah. Right. So the emotional hunger one was really, really, really important. So for that one, it was actually a lot like IFS or feed the demon is he says, I want you to imagine that on each of your shoulders, you have a food devil and a food angel and just listen to the conversations and just pay attention. Like for the first couple of weeks, all you're doing is just watching the dialogue and you're not trying to change them, but you just get to see how your mind works. And you know, it's like, you want enchiladas, Anna, come on. They taste so good. And you got this green chili from hatch and it's fresh and you have the best cheese and you have these handmade tortillas. Just make it. And it's going to make you feel so good. And then I have my my, that's my devil one. And then my angel one's being like, Anna, no, it's a grain. It's going to turn into sugar, da, 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 da. You know, and I would just watch the dialogue. Yeah. So a lot of it is just observation. And he says, like, the more you make healthy choices, the, lo- the less loud that that 
food devil's going to get. And so like I basically the food devil is either quiet or he died because it's like I don't really have that yep. temptation anymore because my emotions are, I'm just like I, I want to feel good all the time. Like I don't want to only feel good when I'm eating. I don't want to have a stomach ache later. Or I don't want to feel like shit six hours later. So that was huge was the emotional hunger. Yeah. I didn't realize how much emotions were running my show, but overall what Eric says in this is he says, if you're able to manage those five other hungers, thirst, variety, low blood sugar, empty stomach, and emotional hunger, you will never actually be hungry. And that was life changing for me was to realize that I could live a life where I didn't have food cravings and where I wasn't hungry and where I wasn't restricting. And yet I was eating healthier than ever. Like my typical day, I wake up, I do my alkalizer smoothie, like he recommends, which is a bunch of greens and some variety, maybe some fruit. I have like hummus and almond crackers for breakfast later. I'll have salad and a protein for lunch. And then I'll have salad for dinner. You know, it's like, it's like, I never ate like this before. If I, if I ate a salad for lunch, I reward myself with taquitos for dinner, right. <laughs> you know? No, I'm serious. Yeah. And, and, and now it's like, I've gone like 70 meals in a row of pure healthy food without needing to like give myself a treat. Cause he also says you want to treat yourself, right? Well, you can treat yourself good and you can treat yourself bad. <laughs> and he says, your idea of a treat isn't a treat for your body. And like a great analogy he keeps using is like, let's say you have a Mercedes Benz or an amazing race car and you take it out for a race and it, you win first place. You take it back to the garage. Are you going to fill it up with cheap, the cheapest gasoline? Or are you going to say, this is an amazing vehicle. I'm going to fill it up with the best fuel I can find. And he says, fill it up with the best fuel you can find. Cause a lot of people will exercise. They'll like go on their five mile jog and they'll come home and go, I just went for a great jog. I get to reward myself. I'm going to have in and out burger and a milkshake. But like, you wouldn't do that to a race car, right? You wouldn't fill yeah. your car up with the shittiest gas. So why are you doing that to your body? Like, when you want to give yourself a quote unquote treat, ask yourself, are you treating your emotions? Or are you treating your body? Because chances are, if you're filling your body up with crap, you're treating your body badly. Yeah. It's interesting you talk about the emotional hunger too, because when you talked about that, I was thinking of, I'm, I'm always on the hunt for dopamine, right? Like all the time. I even mentioned that at the beginning of the episode, in the prelude. And for me in that, it's that afternoon time. Since doing the parasite cleanse, I don't get the same lull that I used to, but like, I will just like sit in the afternoon and just be like, I'm so bored of doing whatever this is like, and I'll just be like, Hmm, what can I eat? What can I, what caffeine can I have? And it's like, and it's like, I don't need the caffeine. I just need the hit from like knowing that I'm going to have caffeine, even though it's like, it's just, the, it's just like, the craving for the the sensation itself. Right. And Eric would say that if you took that out of your diet altogether and it might be hard at first, that eventually, like within a couple of days, you're not even going to miss it. Right. And so it's also, I think it's really good to like recognize for me to recognize and recognize that I'm hunting for dopamine and to, to find other coping, it's not even a coping mechanism, find other mechanisms for being able to do it in the sense of like, what I'll do now is I'll go lay down, I'll drink a ton of water. So not even knowing it, I've started to do that. I drink a ton of water because now that's giving me somehow that's like giving me the hit that I need of, of like, it's like helping with regulate my, you. regulate my neurochemicals, right. Or my neuro, neuro hormones. 
And then I'll go and lay down and I'll just like breathe in and out for 15 minutes. And whatever it is, it's enough. Yeah. Like when I was be craving my new Mexican food because I was missing home, I would be like, you know what? I'm going to just go through my photo album on my phone and just go scroll through and look at photos of my family or call my family, like call different people in my family. Like I can hit that dopamine nostalgia in a different way that doesn't require me basically filling myself up with crap. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, so one of the things I know we're not doing this entire thing on WildFit, we're just doing it on the different types of hunger. Like, do you have any ideas for like, cause like it's really super shitty, but like really healthy foods are usually more expensive, right? Than shitty food is, right? And that's one of the reasons why we eat shitty food is because of cost, right? Like that's a huge thing, especially with costs going up. Okay, well, one thing is I found that we go and get a lot of our produce at Costco in bulk. And I found that like a huge bin of spinach will cost as much as a small one in the grocery store. Yep. And like siete tortillas, which are grain-free tortillas, again, they're like, it's like $8 for eight of them in the grocery store. But at Costco, it's like a package of, don't quote me, but it's like a package of 20 for $8. Right. And so basically doing the majority of our shopping at Costco now has helped. Yeah. Another thing is like, using water for the smoothies instead of some sort of oat milk or almond milk. Just use water in your smoothie. Eating less, like you will probably eat less on this diet. You'll eat out less, which also saves a lot of money because there's not a lot of places you can eat when you're following this diet. And one thing I started doing was packing my lunch for work. Like I used to like treat myself. Again, emotional dopamine hit in the middle of the day and I had my business bank card to cover it. I go eat out and now I'm like packing my lunches every single day that I work because I can't find the food I need out there. And so that saves money too. So overall, I don't think how much money we're spending on food has changed. It's just, we're just making different choices. That's, that's good to know. Yeah. That's really good to know. Yeah. It's, you know, there's, there's a lot of, obviously there's a lot of different circumstances and a lot of different places, things with food and like for those of you who might not have a Costco in your country or might not have a Costco near you, you know, there's always Sam's, there's other, well, there's also, there's also buying clubs, like going back to the hardcore. Like I used to be on the board of a co-op, a food co-op and, and they all start off with like finding somebody else in your area who wants to buy bulk and then getting stuff delivered to you and things like that. And then there's farms farms. that will deliver. And like, if you think about it, if you, if you take out a lot of these things and you're only drinking water now and not sodas and juices and coffees and Starbucks, think of all that money that's saved right there. Yeah. You know, I don't know. It's just, I, I don't, I think it's overall, it doesn't change. So, so can I ask you a question about IFS and emotional hunger? Yeah. Do you think, have you ever identified a part of you mm-hmm. when you were doing the wild fit work that was emotionally fed by? Well, I did wild fit before I did IFS. Yeah. So I didn't actually formally be like, this is the part that da 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 da. But I just noticed that, that I had a desire to reconnect with home and I did that through eating. Right. I just, I noticed that like when I needed to feel safe and comfortable, my go-to thing was to make something with hatch green chili and cheese and corn tortillas and whatever variety that would be, whether it be taquitos, tacos, tostadas, burritos. I mean, tacos. I mean, you know, those are like the main ingredients to new Mexican food is hatch green chili, cheese, beans, and tortillas. So like I'd make some variation of something like that when I was needing to feel 
loved, safe, or home, you know? Yeah. And, and now I just try to give that to myself in other ways. So cool. Yeah. And you know, it's interesting. I want to say two more things before I go is like, one is one friend I was talking to about this is like, this sounds so restrictive. I could never do restrictive eating. And I'm like, I'm the same. Like I can't restrict myself because I will always end up binging. If I restrict, I don't see this as restriction. I see this as telling myself it's not what I can't eat. It's how good can I make myself feel? Right. So it's a shift. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's huge. I I can giving, given my, uh, lack of, of memory for most of the foods that I eat, like, I think it's, it sounds really worthwhile. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the last thing that I learned from this is just that our body, like you, you know, they always say you are what you eat, but like we all have no clue how good we can really feel. We just, we just so stuck eating this processed crap. The second thing I just want to say is that Eric says in the beginning of the course, we do not have a healthcare crisis. We have a self-care crisis. And the way that we treat our bodies, the, like whether it's lack of exercise or eating this crap, like these major food industries do not have our best interests at heart, the way the tobacco industries were with cigarettes. Like they knew it caused cancer all along. Like these companies, they know what they're doing. There is so much deception going on in the food industry. When you look on the back of food, like they do not have your best interests at heart and you need to become knowledgeable of what you're putting in your body and really recognize that the problems we're facing in our country in terms of health, a lot of them are preventable and it comes down to self-care and self-love. Yeah. We do hope that you enjoyed this episode of This Spiritual Fix. If you are interested in submitting your primal wound stories, go to our website, www.thisspiritualfix.com, where you can find the form to input your stories. We would love to hear. Let me tell you all a riddle. There are four girls and four apples in a basket. Every girl takes an apple, yet one apple remains in the basket. How is this possible? The answer... One girl took the basket. She took the last apple while it was in the basket. Sometimes all it takes is a perspective shift. This is my specialty, y'all, and I am opening up two spots in the next two months for dedicated journeyers to work with me to find peace, purpose, and most importantly, perspective. In these journeys, we co-create a curriculum that suits your current blocks, goals, and needs, and we use all the tools, shadow work, books, fiction, remote viewing, intuition, meditation, guided journeys, energy healing, dreaming techniques, you name it, we do it, and all to achieve a commonly held set of objectives. And if you're interested in hearing more, Book a free call with me at www.chriswilty.com forward slash discover. And remember, humility, gratitude, acceptance, done.